Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pixel Play Podcast, the only podcast banned in 46 fictional countries, including Spira. That means it's me, Adam, a.k.a. CS Radical, here with you guys, hosting, because uh, somebody's been trying to do the intro. I'm going to totally go behind the scenes here, guys. Somebody was busting the <laughs> intro a little bit too much, and he's like, Adam, why don't you try it? And I'm like, sure. And then I butchered it once, and here we are. But on this episode, we are going to be talking about several different stories, namely... PlayStation now having a small investment in Discord, thus planning to put the service onto its consoles. Obviously, today, as of recording, is May the 4th, and there is nothing Star Wars related that happens on this day, so we are totally not going to talk about uh, some of our favorite Star Wars games, a top five list, if you will. We also have an interesting conversation that we want to have because Kalen saw a specific podcast talking about hard mode in a lot of games, or at least how the difficulty scales, so we're going to have a conversation about that. And then I finally finished Outriders, or at least the main story part of it, and I got some stuff to say in a, I guess, partially timely review? Not quite untimely, but not timely timely, either. It's been enough time. But that's just me. We do have Kalen here on the show sometimes when when he decides that he he doesn't want to host it, I guess. So I get to ask the question for once. Kalen, how are you? Adam, I am doing awesome. I always hate when you lead and host the show because you just show how inadequate I am at this. But I'm doing good. Uh, For me today, today is my vaccination day. So I got my COVID vaccine. So, you know, I'm feeling good. No major side effects. Uh, The only thing is I uh, have a crippling urge to set Bing as my search default engine. And I'm getting wicked 5G service, so that's fantastic. I mean, we'll see if the zombification progress goes by... Like, you'll see by the end of the show, like, he's yellow now. Maybe he'll turn green by the end. We're not sure yet. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. And that's at least the video version. Well, I, will I, audi- I will audibly let you guys know if something bad's happening. Although I think you'll know when all of a sudden he hears, Stadia. <laughs> <laughs> well, so to be honest, how I understand it works, and I'm no doctor by any means, but what happens is... The first needle is the one that injects the, the Microsoft nanobots into you. The second one is the one that activates oh. them. So Wait, what if I get the right Johnson that... & Johnson, though? Ah, oh, the Johnson & Johnson. Oh, wait, that's the Apple shot. Ah, oh, crap. Ah, yeah, yeah. So this one, the microchips just go in. It's the second one that activates them. So Well, that's going to yeah. be a... Uh... That's so going to be a hell of a dream when good. I get to that point. How are you doing? I'm man? still a couple weeks out from getting, uh, from getting <laughs> mine available to me, so... Yeah, we just got ours because I'm in one of the hotspot areas, so lucky me. Oh, it'll happen eventually. But, yep. you know, you have the massive guide of uh, things, so I will actually, now that I've done the intro, I will pass it back off to you because you're supposed to be the one in the control of all of this. So, have at her, <laughs> sir. My hands are, my hands are completely right. washed now. Well, thank you for carrying the front end of the show. Um, Adam. As you said, one of the things we're going to be talking about this week is PlayStation uh, investing a bit into Discord. So this actually comes directly from headquarters itself for Sony, uh, from the SIE blog. And they wrote, at PlayStation, we're constantly looking for new ways to enable players around the world to connect with one another. From new... form new friendships and communities and share fun experiences and lasting memories. It's in this spirit that we've excited to announce a new partnership with Discord, the communication service popularized by gamers and used by more than 140 million people every month around the world, including us. Uh, Just full disclosure, we do record on Discord. 
Together, our teams are already hard at work at connecting Discord with your social and gaming experiences on PlayStation Network. Our goal is to bring Discord and PlayStation experiences closer together on console and mobile starting early next year, allowing friends, groups, and communities to hang out, have fun, and communicate more easily while players game together. To bring these experiences to life for our players, Sony Interactive Entertainment has made a minority investment as part of Discord's Series H round. So long and short, uh, filtering through the corpo speak, essentially what they're saying is that um, they've now invested with Discord and they're going to be partnering to kind of bring those services onto the PlayStation. Adam, what do you think this means for PlayStation? I don't know if it means anything major at this time. I mean, obviously them getting their foot in the door on Discord is a big one considering Microsoft was rumored to be trying to buy the company itself. Um, but I don't think that, you know, removing the potential of what Sony might do with Discord down the line, I don't know if this changes anything other than the fact that we might just be able to have a Discord app for PlayStation so you don't have to literally have a computer next to you so you can have Discord on while you're playing, you know, any any PlayStation 4 or 5 game. I don't know if in the in the immediate future, like, their plan is to have the app up and running early next year on the on the platform. I don't know aside from that what that means. I think it's more just them casually and probably not costing them too much because it's only a small investment. It's not like they bought the company outright. They're just looking to start putting their foot in the door for crossplay because it's 2021, soon to be 2022 when they have this app up. Uh, crossplay is becoming a very normal thing, which means that down the line, we're going to need a way for people to talk to each other and... If all you can do on a PlayStation 4 right now is talk and party chat with just PlayStation users, it's not enough. So this is their easy way, I guess, without a lot of work, because I assume Discord's doing most of the most of the work in terms of getting the app ready. It's just them throwing a little bit of money, get their get their foot in the door, and then see where it leads. Cause it's gonna be an inevitability throughout all platforms as we go forward. It's just a matter of Will they be ready for it? And if they have Discord on their side, that's probably your best bet as, as a starting point to be prepared for multiple platforms having to talk to each other on the same device. Yeah, I, I think it's a larger conversation of like, is Sony going into, um, going to be looking at cross-play kind of gaming? And I think that's definitely where they're heading. I think that's where everyone's heading. I, I was kind of saying to you, I think one of the things that they see is that I think I think online gaming in terms from the PC space is where most of the consoles are heading in terms of there's an untapped player base. You know, Steam basically has the whole piece of the pie. Microsoft is starting to get into it, and PlayStation's not really. And I think that when they start dropping things like Days Gone or Horizon Zero Dawn onto PC, that's them putting their feet in the water to see what the reception is. Um, I think th with the crossplay, there's also a, a concern from Sony that you know, we are offering crossplay, but what are we doing in terms of revenue? And I want to bring up an art, um, a, a Twitter post posted by Tom Warren, editor at The Verge. And he was essentially saying that there was a conversation with Epic and PlayStation where PlayStation, Epic approached PlayStation asking if they wanted to do some cross platform work with Fortnite. And they were sort of offering all sorts of deals, trying to make Sony look like, you know, the heroes in terms of making crossplay happen. They were talking about, you know, committing to, you know, maybe launching a game on their next VR platform, even allowing them to do it on E on E3, like do you know presentations or brand themselves on E3 with PlayStation, even so much as extending, you know, um, Unreal Engine for licensing, which 
was apparently a really good deal for them. And so Sony said no, and it came out that, you know, they were actually looking for, or they're concerned for the fact that cross-platform sales or cross-play might impact how their sales revenues look. And so there was a, there was an image uh, and it was talking about, you know, if the proportion of PSN revenue share uh, divided by PS4 gameplay, if there's a title that has less than um, 85% sales on the PlayStation network that does the cross-play, then they're looking for compensation from, uh, in this case, I believe it was Epic who was hosting it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but Sony is concerned about cross-play and what that's doing for the revenue. So they might be looking to make a play, not immediately, but they might be looking at something that eventually having their services online. Because I think at one point, PlayStation Now was available on PC. I believe it still is. Or you could, yeah, and, and the remote play was on PC as well. So I think it's, I think both Sony and Microsoft are realizing, you know, there is an untapped market of PC gamers who are essentially just an untapped market that would cost them, like they don't have to build another console to fight for those ones. They can just have the people use their PC and just fight for their services. Yeah, and I mean, the idea, assuming it's true that PlayStation was worried that crossplay might take into the revenue thing, it's like, okay, that might make sense if, you know, this is like a Call of Duty deal where Microsoft, for example, has the better features on it. Like they get the, the day one stuff sooner, but that doesn't affect crossplay because then it can't be like if they have maps before PlayStation, well, then they can't play crossplay. So what's the difference? So generally speaking, when I hear, oh, we don't want crossplay to cut into our revenue, it's like, well, if you're the bigger platform like PS4 was, what revenue are you losing? Because they're probably buying your game, the games on PlayStation, which means you're getting that cut. So I don't know what crossplay does to suddenly like screw with the revenue. Cause I mean, I'm pretty sure if you want to play a game on PlayStation, you're going to play it on PlayStation. If you're going to play it on PC, you're going to play it on PC. So unless their worry is that like, let's say, I don't know, let's, let's just say destiny three, when it comes out, it's, it's available everywhere, like except for switch. Cause I don't think switch could handle it, but if it's on veil for Xbox series X PC and, and PS five, I mean, look, more people might get it on PC now than they would PS5, but they're not gonna. It's not gonna affect Sony at this point because it's not gonna affect them any differently than any other game that doesn't have crossplay that's also available on all three of those platforms. So it's just maybe there's something like business-wise that I don't understand here. But whenever I hear that comment, because I've seen it circulate a couple of times now, it doesn't make sense to me because I'm thinking it's just the same thing as like a game that isn't exclusive to any console swaying different to whoever's like buying for what device yeah i wonder if it's going to be more of a sales from a console standpoint though um right now when a console comes out you re you know you communicate with your buddies like okay like are you going to go playstation are you going to go xbox and if you are interested in playing with your friends like that is going to be where you go even if it's like one or two games where it's just like yeah i want to play destiny with my buddies so I'm going to get a PlayStation, maybe not at launch, but eventually or something. Whereas if crossplay becomes a thing, that's going to eat into their, it's going to eat their lunch a little bit and that they're not going to get those console sales. They're not going to get those game sales. Uh, especially if we're looking at something where it becomes that, you know, we get rid of the brick and mortar stores and they're just buying it from the PlayStation network. That's going to be lost revenue for them. So I think what we're seeing is we're seeing the early days of Sony trying to build 
a PC online crossplay platform ecosystem where it's, yep, yeah, I have my PlayStation. That's where I'm going to get my exclusives and, and everything. But I can also play my P PlayStation games remotely on my PC or I can play with my friends on the PC, right? We're already seeing Sony make moves with the PC and remote play capabilities. And I think the PC is the next stop for them. Yeah, no, I... <sighs> It's it's hard to say because, again, we're getting so much information that doesn't really translate to something that we as fans can kind of recognize because we're all just thinking, well, I already plan on playing this on PlayStation, so what does this change? Crossplay doesn't change mm -hmm. anything. You know, the only way that crossplay changes anything is that, like, again, let's say Destiny 3. If I'm waiting for a sale price to buy a game, that might be the only determining factor because now at least my brain's going to go, okay, if I want to play with my friends on this console, I don't have to get it on this console anymore. So maybe that's the only mm -hmm. way around it. But then if you're Sony, then uh, don't be cheap as shit with, and, and, try to, and try to keep your games as expensive as possible, which as far as I've seen, they don't have that history. The only one that have no. a history of not of, of you know nickel and diming you the best way possible is Nintendo, and they're not going to have most of these. So it's not really an yeah. issue. Steam, Epic, well, Epic's its own funny thing, which is it's a whole different story. I saw how much money they spent on free games in the first nine months alone. I just laughed at it. Yeah, I saw that too. But like when it comes to Steam, Xbox, uh, the Xbox store and the PlayStation store, like it's all, they're, they're all relatively similar when it comes to giving good deals. So, I mean, it really just comes to mm -hmm. just, I don't know, stay on top of it, like offer the same deal if another place does. I don't know. Like it's competitive. What do you expect? Could we look at this as maybe being a, a strike against Xbox in that right now everyone looks and it's like, oh yeah, Xbox and PC are synonymous with each other. I can buy something on you know the store there. I can play it there. Like all their games are on PC. What if this is a way for Sony to kind of attack that strategy and say, yeah, the games are available on PC. However, Discord is not. We have Discord and that's that's on our side of the fence. I mean, that would be a really smart move on their part. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't affect Microsoft that much because if you're playing on PC, as a lot of them gen, generally seem to be, it doesn't affect them much. Not to mention Microsoft's got so much money to burn that I don't think it really much affects them because look at what Xbox Game Pass is and they're probably losing a boatload of money doing that. So I don't know mm -hmm. if anything Sony's doing is necessarily hurting Microsoft. It's just what Sony's doing is keeping them ahead of the game which is what they need to be doing in order to stay decently afloat in comparison to Microsoft, who can hemorrhage money and still be fine. Yeah, that's true. No, I'm excited to see where Discord ends up on the PlayStation system. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for it. So, yeah. Any uh, Anything else on that one? I'm just really excited because I've been asking for Discord on this freaking console for like three years now, and now it's finally becoming a reality, and I'm annoyed that I have to wait at least another uh, nine months potentially for it. Yeah, yeah, it'll take a while, but I think it'll be good once it gets here. Uh, staying within the Sony realm, uh, wanted to bring up uh, another thing that came up. And like you mentioned, this was something that came up on another podcast that um, that I listened to. And they were talking about Returnal and the difficulty scale. So they were talking to it from a bit of an accessibility standpoint, but there has been a lot of discussion about Returnal uh, and the difficulty that it has as a roguelike game. Um Adam, have you looked at, have you played Returnal at all? I mean, I'm waiting for that one to be at least half off, but it's definitely on my radar. It looks, it looks mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, I'm the same way. It looks fantastic. It's not my kind of game, and we're going to get into that in a second. Um, but I, I was going to bring this up. So uh, Zarmina Khan at PlayStation Lifestyle wrote, 
uh, she was writing about this little issue. So she said, Housemark's paternal released uh, to positive reviews yesterday. Obviously, this is a little dated now. But in a world where players and critics are increasingly talking about difficulty and accessibility, there are pl there's plenty of discourse surrounding the game's difficulty. In response to the studio has said, it's, no it's known for making games that are easy to learn and hard to master, making it a development philosophy. Speaking to IGN, game director Harry Kruger argued that Housemark wants players to have a strong sense of accomplishment, marketing and business development, uh, and sorry, and then continues, marketing and business developer director Mikhail Havery added, and I quote, we started development four years ago, and I don't think the vision has changed that much. Housemark games are known for their, let's say, challenge. There's usually difficulty to them. Next, Ex Machina, for example, you can go through the game on easy, but you'll never get the last level. And then there's other then there's other unlockables and so on. So there's an easy to learn but hard to master mentality uh, at work there. And so the the guys I was listening to the um, PlayStation PS I Love You podcast and they were talking about it from an accessibility standpoint. But I was curious to talk to you about this not necessarily just from an accessibility standpoint, which there obviously is. But where do you fall on the difficult games? You know, should they have an easy mode? Uh, I know this is a conversation that comes up often, especially when you talk about from software games and, and the like. Adam, do games need an easy mode? That all depends. If the, if okay, the game is marketed to be a difficult game, I see no reason why they should ever be expected to have one. And Housemark has had a history of being difficult, not to mention Returnal is a roguelite, which are always hard games. Like you look at reddit threads that are like what are the easiest ones and people will be like nah, none of them really are because it's permadeath so you don't you don't get to get away with a lot mm -hmm. so i don't know what people honestly expect like i know that i guess i guess we're getting used to in these days of like story mode difficulties which don't get me wrong i like to abuse because sometimes i like being overpowered as all hell when i play a game mm -hmm. but at the same time if I ever get Demon Souls the remake, which I want to do at some point, I would love to stream myself struggling with that game because there is an intention of that. But I would never go into a From Software game, for example, and, and expect it to be simple. This is the same logic that people should be applying when we always make fun of parents or uh, politicians who get mad at video games because they're too violent. Do your freaking research. You know, like none of this, nobody walked into Returnal, or at least I hope nobody walked into Returnal without at least doing a little bit of looking into it and knowing that, oh, this looks like, like literally it looks like Ikaruga with the friggin' bullet hell stuff. It's just a different format of it. So when I saw the debates about, you know, easy modes there, and this goes all the way back to when Sekiro and Demon's Souls Remake came out and like Dark Souls has always caused the same question. And I'm like, you guys know they're hard games. Why are you expecting them to be easy? That's the same thing that people do with Kirby games, expecting them to be hard because they're too easy. They're baby easy, as some people say. But that's the game. Mm -hmm. And if you want yep. specific levels for or specific difficulties for specific games, then what what's the point of the, of the industry as a whole being an art form? Because, I mean, it's supposed to be subjective, right? You're supposed to let the creator do it as they want. If they want to make an intentionally hard game and nothing else, they can do it. And obviously it's worked because people really love the From Software games. The same goes for really easy games. And if you want to do all, as many options as possible, like what Outriders does with World Tears, so there's like 15 different levels of difficulty, or just having the old easy, medium, hard, or story, easy, medium, hard, or whatever you want to do, 
I don't think there's any wrong answer as long as you're clear with that. Because I don't want to, I don't want to pick up a Final Fantasy game. Like I don't want to pick up Final Fantasy 16 whenever that comes out and find out it's a From Software game all of a sudden. Like I'd want to mm-hmm. know if it's intentionally going to be difficult. Which honestly, especially if you don't buy things day one, because that helps. If you Google it, you probably get your answer. Yeah, I, I, I see the argument that people make that, oh, that's how the designers wanted to. It's an art form. Leave it to there. But at the same time, it's a it's a business as well. And I think that there's a lot being left on the table by, you know, having your feet in the sand saying, nope, this is the difficulty that we want. I think there's a big swath of gamers and that's not just including, you know, accessibility issues, but, you know, as a dad, like I don't have a significant amount of time for gaming. And so for me to constantly you know fight against three four like bad guys to get to you know to the next checkpoint and that's what i've accomplished in a gaming session like it doesn't necessarily work for me and so like i tried sekiro and i knew it was a hard game like i knew it was but i was like okay like i'm going to knowing that this is a hard game and i played it for like a weekend and i didn't even get past the first boss and i'm like you know what i don't have the time to put into this for it to be a good game and sekiro totally interested me i i thought the setting was really cool i thought the combat was really cool but i don't have the time to get good in that game and so for me it's like i like what you're doing and i'd like to be part of it but i can't fit this in with me and so i had to leave on it and i get the idea that this is like their vision but at the same time there's more to a vision of a game than just our game is hard like there is an artistic component there is a narrative component and i think to just boil it down that the whole gameplay structure is that it is hard I don't, I don't think that's enough to carry a whole narr- a whole vision of a game. And I think by having that easy component, you're making it accessible that, you know, I can dip my toes in as a first time player. And yeah, maybe my first from game is going to be played on easy, but then I'm going to start liking the gameplay loop and I'll play it harder and harder. And me playing the game as on easy doesn't take away the experience from someone who loves the hard aspects of from software games or from Returnal. And so I think if they had added those features, it's something that makes it more accessible, gets more people in, and gets more people into the genre, and then they scale up. I know there are some people who are who say, you know, but what about the platinums? And you know, if I go through and I, you know, complete this game, you know, in record time or whatever, and then someone just comes in on easy mode, like I get where you're coming from, and that could easily be just adjusted with the fact that there are games that have trophies tied behind you have to beat it at a certain difficulty level i know um the i think it's the first last of us does it i know do or um wolfenstein the new order does it like you can have that sort of platinum trophy hidden behind a difficulty wall but i think there are people who want to get into those games who just don't have the time commitment don't have the skill or just don't have the interest in putting that in to get good to the point that they can just complete a game not even like not even complete it but let's just say beat it well, there's a lot to unpack with that. Um, first off, you said that, you know, a vision shouldn't just be limited to, say, like, the gameplay difficulty, which I think is doing a disservice to some games where it's not just the fact that they're really hard. Dark Souls is a lot of lore that I think people are not aware of, and this is coming from somebody who doesn't even play them. I just mm-hmm. know a lot from what I've heard. Um, mm-hmm. And then secondly, the reality is, is there's so many games out there that if Returnal is gonna is just too difficult for you, like there are so many other games out there that I don't think it's worth Housemark or From Software or a single developer to suddenly have to change their vision because 
sure, there might be more people that want to play that game if there was an easier difficulty, and they might make more money. But again, like I said, this is what art is. Like, not every painting is 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 made to satisfy every customer. Not every album is released mm-hmm. to satisfy every person. That's why we have genres. That's why we have metal. We have pop music. We have rap music. We have classical. We have even the weirder off-niche genres. Same goes for films. So I think I would just make the argument again that, you know, not everybody is going to enjoy every single game that's out there. So and I think when people complain, and I'm, and I'm trying to be nice about it, and I understand it too because... Mm-hmm. I would love to play all the From Software games because they look like a great time. And I've tried to play the original Dark Souls and it kicked my ass. And like you, I said the same thing. I'm like, I don't really have time for this. Now, the difference is because I stream, there's maybe more of an incentive to get my ass handed to me because now people get to watch me get my ass handed to me. And so maybe it's worth something. But yeah, no, on my own, like, again, like I don't play these hard games and I stay away from them knowing this because I know I'm probably not going to get my money's worth out of it because I'm going to play it for like an hour or two and then be done with it. And that's 60 plus dollars that I've just pissed out the window. However, that being said, clearly a lot of people like it and it's clearly doing well enough that they're okay with limiting it to that because they're making the money that they want to. I guess they're budgeting it well. They're not over marketing and advertising like a lot of companies do like uh like square enix might have done with avengers so <laughs> i i think it's 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 a fair like conversation to have because i think it, it does suck to have that fear of missing out but at the same time mm. like we don't live in the 80s anymore where every game was intentionally hard we also now live in the age of streaming where if you really just are too challenged by a game you can always just watch somebody else do it so if yeah. you really want to know, like, there's other ways around it that isn't playing it. And if playing it is that important to you, well, again, I, I, I don't want to be the asshole in the room, but, like, sorry, we can't make every single game to be something you want. You know, in the same vein yeah. that, like, I would love to enjoy every game that's ever released, but I know that there's going to be a lot of things out there. Like, Fortnite, for example, is the biggest example of I don't get it, and I just let it go away because there's 10 million other things I can be doing. So... To simplify it down, it's just I get why people see a new release because, granted, the PS5 market is really low right now because, A, pandemic, and B, new console. We're still in the, what, the first Mm -hmm. seven months, I think, now? I think this is now the sixth month. I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we got in, like, November-ish. So, yeah, we're definitely getting Mm -hmm. into, like, month six, seven. So we're only like half and half a year into this console's life cycle. So yeah, the library is a little bit small. A big game comes out. It looks drop dead gorgeous. And it looks like it mm-hmm. could be a lot of fun, but it's really hard. And I guess a lot of people were just hardened by that. But yeah, this also happened with Sekiro and three Dark Souls games and the Demon Souls remake. And we keep having this conversation and these games don't, don't, don't fail to make money. So I, it just comes down to like that people assume that everything has to be for them. And I'm just sitting here being like, man, like if it's not for me, it's not for me. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to force a developer to do something they don't want to do. Even if, even if it would actually keep them from making money, like even let's say that that Returnal doesn't make them any money. Like they actually lose money. It's still on them. If that's what they want to do, like it's up to them. Yeah. And this is actually a point I was just going to bring up in that. I think with, with, Housemark trying to go into that AAA sort of experience, and I think that's what Returnal is trying to be, is that's their first foray into AAA, especially the fact that they are charging full retail price. I think they're going to kind of get a little shocked when they kind of realize, like, oh, like, we, we're, try- we're trying to be a AAA game in a niche market. Um, and I would say that 
from like the the Dark Souls s games are a niche market in that they're not going to appeal like a Ghost of Tsushima is. Well, they may they and may so, not make the same amount of money, but I think they'll still turn enough of a profit to be like, okay, this is something interesting if we want to dip our toes in a second time. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say about the the house market is that they're saying like, you know, we've always been known for our hard games, and that is true. Like their games are the old arcade style. But I think one of the key differences is that before when you had things like Super Stardust or when you had, um, what were the other ones? What's that one that they had that like launched with the PS4? Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly and I can't think. It was a Galaxy? Or Galaxy? No. No. I don't remember what it's called. But anyways, this is what their games for. are more arcadey in this. Yeah, you Google that while I'm going on my rant. Uh, so the problem is that those games were score chasers, right? There wasn't really a story to them. It's, Hey, you're just doing this to collect the points, get as many points as you could. And for me, that was a gameplay where it's like, yep, because I am being challenged by myself. I am trying to do better than I was the last time. But now there's this narrative component with Returnal that even if I were to get the game, like I wouldn't be able to complete the narrative aspect because I'm not going to put the time in to get good at it. So I think that that's a bit of an issue. It was a uh, so gun, by the way. Sorry, vision. I just looked it up. That's it. Rezo gun. Um, and then the last thing I like talking about the artistic vision is like, I don't think it's compromising it though. Like I said, I think there's multiple aspects to a vision. It might not be compromising, but I still think it's, it's their choice. Right. Well, I think, I think it's no different than when you have like a movie, like a foreign film that, you know, does subtitles. It's not like you, there's this French movie and they're like, fuck you. You want to watch it? You got to learn French before you can like watch the movie. Like they'll put subtitles. in. Is that a fair comparison though? Cause I mean, it's not like you play a hard video game and you don't know how to play video games. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, with subtitles, you don't know French. I I don't know. And maybe it isn't a good comparison, but I, I, I find that, you know, there is that aspect that they make it accessible for those who, Like, I I don't know if there's actually like a good analogy that could match it in any other industry because I don't because games is kind of a very different kind of medium because it's not like it's it's not like you watch an action movie and then there's like a dark souls of action movies where they're just like really hard. Like, it doesn't really exist. So we're kind of like we're talking about something that's pretty like specific to gaming only. Mm -hmm. So it it really just comes. It's it's. Look, I, I don't have a problem with either argument. It's just I always lean in the way of, like, let the artist do what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I, I'm not trying to force, like, hey, you have to do this. But I would, if I was sitting at that boardroom table, I would be advocating, like, yeah, we need to make an easy or an accessible way. I mean, look, if you, if you were going to, if you were saying, hey, do you want an easy mode in Dark Souls? I'd be like, fuck yeah, I'd love to play some, like, easy Dark Souls. Yeah. But they don't, so I'm like, okay, then I guess I'll find something else. Yeah. And if, if no, and if from software is okay with that, choice. that's okay. And if they're making the money they, they think that they deserve to make, then that's good on them. Obviously, it's worked out for them. And if Housemark, even if they lose money, they lose money, and they'll and they'll learn from that, and they'll probably go back to like a smaller budget or something like that, because it seems like their vision is these kind of games. So, but if they happen to make a bunch of money, and I feel like they will, because I think a lot of the Dark Souls like kind of crowd is going to lean towards this, especially because yeah. PS Five is desperate for for some more games. So I think a lot of people are willing to give this a shot and work with it. So I think it'll work in their favor. But yeah, no, I don't really think there's a wrong answer in the conversation. It's just 
if you're going to put the gun to my head and tell me which one I want, I'm going to let the artists do what they want to do. Because the second that we start making them think that they have to add these things in, they become like every company that decided for a long period of time that every game needs a multiplayer and it screws up the single player. So I yeah. try to be careful making- in, in saying you have to have this in here because as soon as you say you have to have this in here, they start focusing on that instead of focusing on the thing that's going to make the game better. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from. I, I just think I think they're leaving something on the table. I think... And they absolutely I are. There, there's definitely money to be made, made otherwise. I think they're making the wrong I guarantee, like, yeah, if, if they had easy yeah. mode, they probably make another... They could probably make another million copy sales. Easy. Probably. Mm-hmm. Based based on, you know, the hardware itself. But... Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting conversation, and I'm always happy to have these kind of ones on here. Yeah. I, it's a very interesting conversation, and to be honest, I'm going to throw it to our audience. Like we we have uh, a lot of people who've joined us now, and if you're watching this, and you know, go in the comments. Like, let us know: should there be an easy mode for Returnal, or do you think like companies are leaving something on the table by, you know, keeping their games hard? So, and if you want to email us, you could always email us as well with your response. We can read them on uh, online next week. Their email is pixelplaypodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, Adam, as you mentioned, we are recording this on. Uh, May the 4th, so International Star Wars Day. Uh, keeping with the whole internet pop culture, I thought it would be relevant for us to have our own little Star Wars section, being the resident Star Wars, I don't know. You weren't a big Star Wars, you're just like lukewarm on Star Wars, right? I mean, when it comes to games, if we're talking games, like I didn't play a lot of them, mostly because as a kid, I didn't really have the purse strings, so there were a lot of games that I missed out on. But like, yeah, you know, I've, I've been like middle of the road kind of Star Wars fan. I've watched... Every movie except nine, because I got so mad at eight that I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, so eight and nine are interesting movies, and I'm not going to go too far into this, but like I was having this uh, conversation with a friend over the weekend. We were talking about this, and he was adamant that episode eight was better than episode nine. And I'd say that like they're equally good and equally, they're equally successful and equally failing. And I feel like, story-wise episode nine is not that great but it captures the feeling of star wars it captures like the fun and the characters of star wars episode eight is a more interesting story done poorly so that's how i put it episode nine is a poor story done better episode eight is a better story done poorly it, it's it, it made like just to keep it short as well like it made me so sad to watch eight and be so angry at it because i felt like it really took a lot of a lot of liberties with the license and took a lot of shots and kind of really gave the fans the wrong rub. Like, like few people that I know that are lifelong Star Wars fans really like that movie. And very few people that I know that like that movie generally weren't big Star Wars fans or started on the new franchise. Like, yeah. I watched episode seven and I loved it because I'm like, that's that's what I remember. That's the kind of fun that I remember. Mm-hmm. And then episode eight came in and I'd be like, oh, this is what happens when a company that doesn't actually care about the license just want to make money off the license. That, that's the feeling that yeah. I got. I felt like once 8 came out, Star Wars became a corporate film. And I kind of lost yeah. love with it. And that's why I chose not to watch 9. I know exactly what happens in it because I've read it all over. Because I still want to mm-hmm. know. But I wasn't willing to drop the money on it. Whereas like... Yeah. And I mean, to, to weave it into games, since that's where we were going to go with it, I feel like this list is going to be weird because a lot of it's going to be much older games because I find that Star Wars today has become similar in that a lot of the games that I feel have come out in the last little while, and granted, it's also because EA is at the helm of a lot of it, 
it's it seems like Star Wars has less been about the the awe of the license and so much has just been a license to print money. Okay, this is gonna be interesting because uh, my list probably looks a little bit different than yours. So I, I guess what we'll so. Do is we we've actually got five. We each came with five, and what we'll do is um, we'll give a point system. So the lower they are on the list, so like number five is gonna be worth one point. Number one is gonna be worth five points. We'll compile at the end and see whether they do like a top five or top ten, depending how the wor- list works out. Um, Adam, I've got five plus an honorable mention. So we're cheating you, already. Adam? No, no, this one is not getting any points. I just wanted to give a shout out to this because I was talking with uh, my wife and she's like, what about this game? And I'm like, yeah, like, but I'll I'll tell you right now. So the honorable mention goes to Beat Saber. Uh, Not a Star Wars game by any stretch of the imagination. But it kind of is. It kind of is. So like, I was trying to think when I was making my list, I was like, okay, the things I'm looking at is, you know, does it, how, what is the story like? like what is the game does the gameplay make you feel like you're in star wars and and like for me i was looking at you know the three main aspects i think of star wars is like the lightsaber fighting like you you want to feel like a jedi with a lightsaber the flying aspect like you know being in dogfights and x-wings and tie fighters and just that ground scale combat and so beat saber obviously is not a star wars game but it totally feels like a lightsaber game and when you're swinging those sabers it you're basically playing with a lightsaber so not gonna get any points but just want to give a shout out to beat saber for that lightsaber experience adam do you want to go first with your number five sure uh i'll boot it up with the snes super star wars which was okay i i that was like one of the very few games that i owned on my super nintendo as a kid and i think that also helps a lot with the nostalgia factor on it it's also just a fun silly little platformer it has like the the uh, sand speeder kind of stuff. So there is, there's a little bit of like differentiation. I should really go back and replay it and probably play it with cheats so I can finish the game. Because I think as a kid, I still only got like three or four levels in because games back in those days, especially uh short, there was no easy mode. <laughs> no, no, there was, there was no such thing as easy. It was just play this game and we're going to make it intentionally hard so that you pay us $80 for this game and don't feel like you got cheated out of it because it's going to take you like months to finish it. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember playing Super Star Wars and it's a cool game. I like it, but for me it the story like I I wasn't big on this. Like it took some weird liberties with it and I was just like this isn't I'm going for to say me. from the like very it, t- I should have said this at the beginning too. My list is going to be based based on the fact that I haven't played probably more than 10 games in general in the license. I've missed a lot of stuff. That's totally fine. It's the list is whatever you want. There was really no parameters. Okay, well, I'm going to start with, with Galaxy at War, the mobile game, and then Star Wars Connect, and then both EA <laughs> Battlefront games. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, Super Star Wars is good, but yeah. Uh, for me, my number five was Star Wars Pod Racer. Uh, so for me, I thought this was... I remember playing this kid, game as a kid. I thought it was awesome. Um, it, it made me care about the phantom medicine pod racing which was like one of the worst parts of that movie like not one of the worst parts but it was just pod racing was the only good part about the movie what are you talking about it wasn't that good like so for me like pod racing i don't care about pod racing in in the scheme of things but that game is so much fun and like one that i still want to go back and play so story-wise eh, i don't really care doesn't make me feel like i'm in star wars like i'm not swinging jedi lightsabers i'm not fighting in dogfights but like 
it made pod racing fun and cool. And like, there was a blip in time where everyone was playing that game and that game was awesome. Like I remember that game being at like a McDonald's, like you could go and play on their little kiosk and they had star Wars pod racing. It was, it was such a good game. So well, it's, I'm going to give that one my number five. It's funny you say that. Cause that's my number four. Oh, fantastic. So what, go ahead. Why did, why number four for you? Because I have never been so mad at a racing game and been so happy at the same time, because that game was hard as balls to control. Yeah. Mind you, that I think that but might so be more cool of an like your, N64 problem damage. because that controller is ass and will always be ass. Yeah. But man, like yeah, I remember like it was, it was like a volcano-ish level and that level was just so many pillars, so many death traps and it's just like I I can't. This it's like I play F0 like even on the Super Nintendo or the Game Boy Color or is it no the Game Boy Advance or the GameCube and those games are ridiculously hard because the thing moves so damn fast you can't keep up with it yeah pod racing was the same thing like it was so like when you play like just the base maps it's a lot of fun and then on top mm. of that once you get later in the game you get to the really hard tracks you just die endlessly and you're like I want to be good at this <laughs> Yeah, I was better, actually uh, better at the arcade game, which I figure would have been more challenging. Oh, yeah, with, like, the two, like, controllers. That you're yep. Just, yeah, yeah. I just remember constantly playing that with my sister and my friends and just destroying my sister. She kept pushing her into walls so she would crash and blow up. It was great fun. Um, my number four is Star Wars Rogue Squadron. So this is the one that actually just came out last year. Um I don't know. Have you played this one, Adam? Oh, you mean Star Wars Squadron? Sorry, Star Wars Squadron. Thank you. I have not played that one, yeah. by the way. Yeah, this one is fantastic. So the campaign is whatever. I don't really care. Um, but once again, capturing that feeling of Star Wars. So for me, like you're sitting in that cockpit and you're flying it. Like the fact that each cockpit looks different and each fighter flies different. Like I played this on VR and it was just so unreal playing this and i like got like my wife to play it i got my dad to play it i was like you guys gotta try this and like they're not playing it like in terms of doing the combat but they're just flying around and they're like holy crap this does feel like i am in a, a tie fighter it does feel like i'm in an x-wing and the fact that the cockpits look different and i would be like flying around looking around where enemies are like it felt like a dogfight. and so the story wasn't amazing i don't even remember what happened i can't even tell you how it finished because like i don't remember the ending but like i remember level to level just loving that game and so i, I think that one is a, an awesome one on the list mm -hmm. uh number three for me would be the good battlefront 2 on uh the old school xbox and ps2 i believe not mm -hmm. the ea ones no, they, they actually, I don't mind the campaign in the EA one, but the game itself can, can suck every uh, bag of, bag of, uh, bag of male genitalias as it can, because uh, so it was pretty bad. Quick thing, quick thing on, on, because you said the, the EA Battlefront 2 campaign was, I thought it was okay. Like It, it was, was fine. It, it had a lot more potential than it actually, like, it looked like it was giving you this cool, like, oh, we're going to play as the Empire and see how this goes. And like, it was such a cool premise. And it's like, Nah, you flip, and now you're just doing, like, all these tutorial missions, and it's like, okay, well, this kind of, like, you you wasted so much potential with this, and I'm disappointed. Yeah. Sorry, continue but about I mean, the EA one. I'm not the EA one. Jeez. That's what I said, just the, isn't it? Oh, sounds telling me like you said the EA one. No, I totally said the wrong one, and I'm just trying to cover my face. Ah! So, <laughs> it's trying to screw with me, too. All right, well, 
the old one, the good one, had it right. You know, I got to play both just the regular console version playing the single player, and I got to play it on PC where it was, and apparently you still can play it on PC because people reopened servers on it. And it was exactly what you would hope a crazy dogfight of, of Star Wars cape of like chaos would look like. And granted, a lot of this is now coming for like most of these games are coming just based from memory because I haven't none of these games on my list are stuff that I've played in the last like five years. So no, I don't want to play this recently. Um a lot of it just comes down to like it really was like the closest thing I think we got to, you know, Star Wars being exactly what it could have been in a full scale war setting. I mean, granted, some game like if we could get something like that now and without EA bullshit. I, th- I think you have an amazing game. If they can take the squadrons part of it and then put it with some really solid third-person shooter stuff, like if they could throw like, maybe not the Mass Effect stuff, but something somewhere around, like actually Outriders has a pretty decent third-person, minus the cover system, but we'll get into that in the review later. Mm-hmm. It's like you you get a really solid third-person shooter in there and you mix it with squadrons for the for the aerial combat, you could have a really solid game that could rival what Star Wars Battlefront 2 did. Because that's what, like, the original one definitely started getting people's, like, gears going in their heads. And then two just basically said, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we want. And then it stopped happening forever for some reason. Yeah. Because apparently fans don't get what they want anymore. Yeah. Agreed. So I'll give that one three points. Uh, For me, number three, and I'm thinking I know where this falls on yours, but for me, uh, number three is KOTOR. Um, I went with KOTOR because like, I think it's a fantastic game. Uh, one of the aspects, like I said, for this list that I'm focusing on is the story. And KOTOR has a fantastic story. Like, it's so good, like, to play as both, either, like, either be, like, um, either be a Sith or a Jedi. Like, it's super cool. You can play sort of any sort of role you want. Like, I thought it was great. I love the story. The reason why it's at number three uh, is just because it, as much as it is a Star Wars game from a story perspective... The gameplay is not anything special in the sense like it doesn't make you feel like a wicked Jedi Knight or anything like that. Like it's it's very much an RPG with that click kind of sequence turn order. So the gameplay aspect, I think, is the least compelling part of it. And based on our conversations from last week, like it's not something that I necessarily want to revisit. But I think the story puts it at such a high caliber. Yeah. Uh, number two is actually rogue squadron like rogue squadron unlike uh, somebody's okay. misfire there the n64 version um just because like the first time i ever sat down and played that game i could not believe what i was actually looking at like i'm looking at me flying in an x-wing and being like holy crap i'm actually flying an x-wing and doing stuff or like when you play the hoth level and you're in the snow speeder i believe it is mm-hmm. i can't remember what the actual like the the it's a snow speeder yeah, so and you're friggin' tying the coil around the ATATs, like that stuff was so cool. And they got all that stuff right. And I think it like obviously I think if people look at other games like um Woke Squadron 2 that was on the GameCube, or obviously Squadrons now, I mean there's obviously improved versions of it, but I think because of Rogue Squadron laying down the foundation, and I'm not gonna lie, it's got a lot of nostalgia built into it for me, that I think I, I put it a lot higher in that regard just because of of what it did. Yeah, for me, I've heard amazing things about like the Rogue Squadron games. The reason why it's not on my list is just I stayed with games that I had played, um, and that's one that just never crossed my controller, if you would 
It, it, Go it didn't way. cross your uh, your your six axis. Yeah, exactly. No, I was I I I just never got that one. So no. Um, for me, my number two is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, if I recall, this is a game that you do not like, Adam. I was yes, I I was quite disappointed. So for me, I love the game. Uh, I think the story is fantastic. Uh, you know, it is an original story, and this is where I think star wars games need to either excel like either capture the story and stay to it like as true as possible but i think it's best when they make their own stories and that's why something like super star wars didn't really appeal to me so to have like an original story that kind of fits in with the whole saga awesome i thought that the the worlds that they built were kind of cool like i said the story just captured me i like the lightsaber and like force powers and one of the ones that and it's not on my list but one of the ones that was kind of there for me was i was battling between fallen order or uh force unleashed and for me i felt that fallen order was in my opinion the better game because i felt like a jedi like i wasn't fully trained like i wasn't a jedi knight like i was sort of like an apprentice slash jedi kind of there and so i had skills like i could do some basic force stuff so i felt like a powerful jedi but i didn't feel overpowered which is the problem i think that was with um force unleashes that you're like basically as powerful as darth vader and i thought that was just kind of it's cool and it was fun but yeah for me fallen order is like a good combination of feeling like a jedi with a good story granted i wish that you were able to like slash people with the lightsaber and like cut them as opposed to just like beat them with a bat but yeah it really it really came off like power rangers in that game didn't it well, it's, it's funny because, like, when it was the stormtroopers and, like, the Empire, like, yeah, you were beating them with a stick. But when you were fighting monsters, like, you were slicing those guys in half. And so it's kind of a weird choice that, like, okay, killing monsters, yeah, let's decapitate It's those, almost but... like the rating systems can be weirdly inconsistent depending on what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. But for me, I love Fallen Order. I end up platinuming it. It's one of those games that I like to go back to every once in a while. The level design was okay. Like, that was probably... a big issue with it but for the most part i thought it was like a really good star wars game. yeah and and like i said like i didn't mind the game itself but the problem is with a game like that i'm expecting the story to carry its weight and when i didn't like a single person in that in that little first little bit that i played and also just like felt no connection to any of the story that just made it really hard like the gameplay can be really amazing but if the if the story isn't pulling anything out of you it's it's really hard to kind of stick with something see i loved uh grease i thought grease was awesome cal was you know great um bd was really cool so like i thought there were some cool characters there yeah it's not a different spokes for different folks they say you know exactly is that what they say different spokes yes is that i thought it was different strokes for different folks i don't know could be both why not eh, different strokes for different folks i guess uh my number one then is nice zero republic um and yeah that means that there's a lot of games that i haven't played like jedi outcast i never got around to playing um so, what was it republic commando i never got around to there's a lot of cool games yes, that i've missed that's out what on. i want to play like there's definitely a lot out there that i've missed just on the basis of like you know i never got around to as a kid i didn't have a really i had never had a gaming pc at any point until like literally a couple of years ago so <laughs> i was a little bit behind on the pc times too but yeah knights there republic was kind of like if it wasn't for that game, I don't think I'm interested in what Bioware had to sell, and that's obviously what brings in things like Mass Effect and Dragon Age and Jade Empire and other things like that. Nice Zero Republic made me aware of these guys, and it's obvious, like, I'll sit here and 
and say it now, and we talked about it last week, I wouldn't play that game again now. It, it's it's aged so poorly. But at the time, which is what we're really going off of here, it was an incredible game. Like It was really, in my opinion, the best story that was ever told in a Star Wars game ever at that point, in, in a landslide too. You had some incredible characters you should really get behind, including a droid that, quite frankly, I think is far more interesting than any droid that any of the films have ever had in HK-47, because he literally oh, yeah. just badmouths you constantly. He's like Deadpool the robot. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Just calling you meatbag all the yeah. time. Yeah. And Oh yeah, no. HK forty seven was the best. And you and you had other I'm trying to think, what was the Twi'lek's name? Um, Mission Vow, I think. Here, I'll, I'll take a look this time. You keep you keep going. But like there, there's a lot of characters in there, and obviously, like, I'm totally about to spoil a really old game. I think we even spoiled it last week. When you find out that you're actually the Sith Lord, you've been hunting this entire time, like, that's a moment that I'll never forget because that shocked me. And I'm rarely shocked to, like, an extent like that. Like, there's... I've played so many games now that I've pretty much sat there being like, I'm expecting the the backstab, or I'm expecting the turnaround being like, actually, it was this person all along. Whereas, yeah. like, back then, my skills weren't as sharp, and it threw me the hell off when they said, actually, you're the evil one. And you're like, What? <laughs> What? I kill uh, I killed all those people. Bow. Oh wait, I probably killed a lot of people before, during this game. Well, never mind. I guess I'm a murderer in every word of the sense anyway. <laughs> yeah, so just to confirm it is mission battle. Sweet, my memory isn't completely yeah. broken. But yeah, that game has the ultimate nostalgia value for me. The sad part is, honestly, I think I'd still wouldn't rate it nearly as highly as I'd like to, which kind of tells you that for me, Star Wars games have never really been like the overwhelming, like amazing games for me but licensed games also have that weird section where like sometimes they just don't they don't give you like the quality experience like not every game is going to be what marvel spider-man has been for a licensed game so but either way or knights of the old republic really good game i wish i got more into uh the second one but i had trouble with that one and then the mmo was what it was the mmo was a was a fun little like kind of grind fest but i didn't get too crazy into that one either yeah it's funny because i tried playing the second one too and i had problems getting into it as well so it has probably uh, one of the worst endings in, in any Star Wars game and many and maybe any game in general. It's it's horrible. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, I'm going to go with uh, the good Star Wars Battlefront 2. So not the EA one as well. Uh, that's my number one. And for me, like I said, it checked all the boxes like you want awesome X-Wing dogfighting. It has it. You want good ground assault kind of experience. It has it. You want to feel like a Jedi like it has it and so i think it has all the gameplay it makes you feel like you're in star wars and then that galaxy conquest kind of chess game that they had was just i totally forgot about that too it was that was the best part so like even though it wasn't like a narrative narrative in that sense like it did have a story in that you're either working to conquer the like subdue the galaxy or free it and i thought that was really really cool and if i remember correctly like that one had both like the prequel era as well as like the current era, i believe right? so yes yeah so like it covers all the bases like i think the, and i'm just gonna refer to it as the good battlefront 2 and, and this is not to say the second one isn't terrible but it's it pales in comparison to its original one and so i think that is the ultimate star wars game so uh with that being said so i just quickly did some calculations doing some math uh and to be honest they all made it on the list we had two ties so between the two of us, you can pick whoever is your favorite. 
um, and that'll affect your rankings. So number one is either KOTOR um, or Battlefront 2, the good one. Number two, unanimously, was Rogue Squadron, the 96 or nine, the 64 version. Uh, for third place, we had Pod Racing, Star Wars Pod Racer, made it on the list. I like that. Uh, then number f- number four uh, is either Fallen Order or Squadrons, and then number five is Super Star Wars. Yeah, that's, so I mean, like I said, there's pretty solid. There's list. so many games that we missed out on. Like, if we're being completely honest, like there there are way too many to speak of that's like man like there there's probably people sit, like listening to this being like how did you guys forget this one it's like it's it's easy actually <laughs> yeah yeah because like there's a whole bunch like i'm wanting to like i want to play republic commando because i remember that as a kid and i was like wanting it all the time and i just being a poor kid i never had the money for it and then never got it for a christmas or a birthday and just kind of just disappeared and then now it's and back. it's crazy that no one's really tried to take a second crack at it because a first-person Star Wars shooter sounds pretty awesome. Nah, uh, I think EA did try a crack at it and it didn't go well with Battlefront. Did they actually do first-person with it? Yeah, th- those games are first-person. Oh, right, because they went the Battlefield thing. That's how you know that I didn't play those games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adam, we're getting towards the end of the show, but uh, we did want to go over um, an untimely review, or I guess in this case... A timely untimely review so ladies and gentlemen if you guys are new here um we don't have the connections we don't have uh the the poll to get games to review oh, so no, no, no. we, we, we have the, the connections we just like to give all the good girls and boys out there in the games journalism industry our copies because we don't want to feel like we're getting uh we're getting ahead of everybody. We, we try to give other people a action. No, no, we definitely don't have any connections. I was going to say, is that what we're doing? Because I didn't agree to that. And I don't think <laughs> I'm down with that. But yeah, uh, we don't have the connections or the poll to get uh, review copies. So we just review games as we're playing them. Um, and then once we finish making the reviews, sometimes they're you no know, relevant. Sometimes they're a little old. Sometimes they're like uh, multiple years old. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, sometimes, you know, at least at the very least, you're going to know how we feel about these games. But uh, in this case, it's a little bit more timely than untimely adam you finished at least the we'd call it the story aspect of outriders. yeah i i finished outriders at least to the point of where you can start the end game which are the expeditions i did a couple of the expeditions and they're really fun mm-hmm. the problem is is i don't have people to play with and it's kind of an like sure i could just go into random queues or i could go online and try to find groups but I've played Destiny for a long time, and finding random people is a very, very difficult process. Because sure, you might get lucky and find a really good group, or you're going to do what most likely happens, which is you find some people that you definitely do not jive with, and you find some people who definitely expect you to be amazing at the game, even though you're decent, and get mad, so... I've kind of hit this wall where I'm like, damn, do I just kind of put this aside now? Even though I want to keep going for her, but it's like, okay, well, I guess I could boot up a second class now, maybe mess around with that and go crazy. Or I guess I could do something different. And I don't know. I'm not really sure what this, but for now I did play through the story and I'm going to have a very similar outlook to this than I did with the Mortal Kombat film where I love the game the story mm-hmm. is fucking bad. It is bad. Oh, okay. Like I mentioned when I was talking about the demo, how I like the way that it starts and I still hold to it. I think I like the first little bit. The second you leave the first location you're in, it can get really dicey. They introduce people and then they die suddenly. I There was a point on my streams because I every time I played, I would stream it. 
there was a running gag that like every time I saw somebody and be it'd be like, all right, how long until this person gets killed off? Because almost everybody you run into dies. It's just you don't get a chance to really attach to people. And I think that's probably one of the bigger things. It's like they really could have gotten you to be interested in, in, in these characters. And the few that you do either don't come with you or die. So mm-hmm. by the end of the game, I liked myself and that was about it. Because at least my my character, you know, was just... My character basically by the end of the game was turning into a I'm getting too old for this shit kind of character. Like he was just telling people like, get the fuck on with it. I just want to do this thing. Mm-hmm. So the quotes from my guy would be funny. And then everybody else is just like, if you're a guy, you're either way too fucking macho. You're way too cautious or whatever. And then if you're a girl, you're basically way too bitchy, which is kind of irritating because there are two women in this in that stay with you throughout the portion of the story. And neither of them came off likable at all. Like even the one that Mm. you're supposed to like, I mean, I guess you almost kind of like her just because she kind of quips once in a while, but she's still kind of a gruntled like bitch. And that's not Mm. really easy to associate with. I guess the thing is, is like most of the people in this kind of world, they're not going to be like the nicest of people because you know, they're trying to survive, but I mean, people found ways to like characters in The Last of Us, and that's a pretty mm. grim game that has a lot of like desperate people in there. So there is definitely a way to do it, but the characters yeah, you can really make, like, just didn't char- sell it. Yeah, you can you can have you could have likable unlikable characters. Like you can make them be bad people or doing bad things, and you know you may not agree with them, but you're rooting for them, and I think that's a sign of good character development and it doesn't sound like they've done it for this one like there's one character that doesn't join you as soon as you leave the hub town who Mm -hmm. clearly is like someone that did not want the position that she was given and had to make some tough decisions and she was really torn because and her commission the when you first meet her at the prologue to the game versus what she is when you wake up from this cryostasis after like 30 years it's two completely different people but you understand how she got there but then she don't take her with you, and then she basically becomes an afterthought. Like, I thought you'd be doing stuff back and forth between her. Nah, she's just... You never talk to her again after you leave. You don't have to talk to her ever again, which is kind of disappointing. And that seems to be, like, the crux of the game. You'll come to a place, and then you won't need to go there anymore. Like, once you've done all the story stuff there, all the side stuff, there is no reason for you to go to these places ever again. So that's kind of disappointing. It kind of takes away, like... You know, in Mass Effect, you can go back to places once in a blue moon and there's something like there's new dialogue. There might be something continuing on as time goes forth. This one is just, nope, that's like level two. You're done level two. Go on to level three. So Mm. that's so from the entire story progression, it just sucks. Like they had a good start and then everything else becomes a jumbled mess. They try to throw in a few surprises here and there and it doesn't really work. And they kind of mess with the whole, you're on, I I hate it when stories do this. When you're like, here you are on this uncolonized planet, but it turns out there's actually been people here all along. And it just, because they clearly needed to find a way to have human enemies in the later parts of the game, because otherwise it would just be monsters over and over again. To which I say, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. There would make sense. It'd be actually kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But there there's a lot of weird decisions there. Story-wise, like, when the game ended, I'm like, really? That's 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 it? 
Because there's a bunch of people that you face or come to blows with or almost kill you and that comes to nothing you don't there's no closure on that it it seems clear that they left a lot of doors open for dlc which sure is neat but destiny when it did all that stuff at least the story that it did tell was compelling kind of here and there whereas without writers Mm -hmm. like i finished the story and went okay if they come with a dlc for story wise i'm not going to be that curious And I think personally, and I'll talk more as to why in terms of the gameplay after this, but I don't think I'm going to spend any more money on this game because I don't think it's done enough to trap me there because Mm. the gameplay isn't going to do it. I've looter-shootered myself to death, so it was going to take a good story to kind of keep me there. It was still fun while I played it, but it wasn't something that suddenly made me go, okay, I can do this for another three years of DLC. It's not going to happen here. Um... So yeah, the gameplay is amazing, mostly. But like the mm-hmm. looter shooter stuff, I said it before when I talked about the demo, it's fantastic. The loot is done better than I think in any other game that I've played at this point because the loot is constantly modifiable. Um, you can level up most things to your level. Granted, you won't want to level up guns until you've maxed your level out because it makes no sense. You're going to waste all your materials and you might end up finding a gun you like better. So it's better to be patient and just finish leveling up first and then working from there. The gameplay itself is really well done. I think the powers are good. I think the combat mostly is good. The cover system could be better. It's a little bit finicky. Some things look like they should provide you cover and they don't. Sometimes you see a guy's head pop out of cover and you know you should be able to shoot him, and you will, but it won't register a hit, and that's frustrating. And then you'll be behind cover, and then people suddenly are able to kind of just, I guess, the tiny bit of arm hair that's sticking out from behind a wall, they shoot, and that messes you up. The key Mm. thing that I have a problem with, I thought was going to be the world tiers, because I thought it was going to make enemies spongy. The reality is, is the spawning in this game is atrocious. Like, to the point that it's sometimes, like, absolutely unfair in the ways Mm -hmm. that you'll look at the radar and you'll see in front of you, both on the radar and visually, three people. And then you'll turn your head for a second and all of a sudden there's nine. Without Mm. any notice, without any, like, it's not like you killed a wave and here comes the next one like most games would do. It's just they show up. They just, I guess there's a certain point where it's like either you've taken too long or you killed this specific enemy that triggers this and they don't spawn further away from you so they can come into the battle. They generally spawn all around you, which makes it really hard to play a cover shooter when cover Mm. isn't necessarily safe. I've seen a lot of people say that it's better, honestly, to just grab a shotgun and just go ham with your powers and just run around the map. And it's just almost like a doom style. Yeah. And if that's the case, then the cover is obsolete and didn't need to be there. And it doesn't mm. help when it's really hard to stay alive because health can get depleted really quick, especially if you're playing on world tiers, because like I said, it doesn't make them spongy. It just levels them higher. And if you're facing enemies by the time where I got at world tier 10, I still have five left to unlock, which is crazy. And they're seven levels higher than you. So they will rinse your ass and mm. your shield doesn't stay very long and your health will deplete really quick. And there's not like a last stand mechanic where like you might have a chance to get behind cover. 
your health doesn't fully regenerate. So if you do not have a way to heal yourself, you're in a lot of trouble. And when the spawning doesn't make it easy for you to get a second to catch your breath, it becomes overwhelming to the point that there were times when I didn't just turn the level down a little bit, I would ham it down way more than I should have to just to get past something. Which brings me to my mm. my last annoyance. Well, actually, there's more than... Actually, there's two. The biggest annoyance with the gameplay, though, is that there are certain enemies in that game that are way harder than they should ever be. So I'll give you an example of one enemy that's doable. They're chargey enemies, but they have guns and they have powers. They're still a little bit unfair. I think the game's AI are also a little bit too aggressive, almost to the point of un being unrealistic. Like, I'm pretty sure not every human who would have a gun in hand, can also spawn fire tornadoes and other shit and think, I'm just going to charge dead in front of your bullets. They never hide behind yeah. cover. They just dead charge you. Well, because they know the cover's useless. We've talked I about this. I suppose that's true. But there are enemies that just have <laughs> melee weapons, so yeah, they would charge you because what are they going to do? Throw the mace <clears throat> at you? It's not really going to work that well. Yeah. So that made sense, but when these enemies charge you, but they're still decently easy to kill, especially if you have the right powers, fine, no problem. Then you get something like the shamans. And the shamans, towards the later end of the game, are these floating enemies that cast all these spells that will constantly keep you from being able to stay still. Now, when you think shaman, you think meatbag. Like, easy to shoot, probably doesn't have a lot of health, and, you know, is more mobile than he is a tank. The shaman has more health than anything in the game that isn't a boss. That's ridiculous. And I played it on the highest world tier that I was at at the time. It was either 9 or 10. And I spent around, like, I'd have to go back and check the stream. I think I spent 10 minutes in a battle with it. And I hadn't even hit th a third of its health. Because in wow. the time that I'm shooting it, it can cast a shield to keep yourself from damaging it. It constantly casts spells that you have to get away from it because it'll just wrench your ass. And it keeps spawning in other boss enemies that will charge you so you can't focus on it. So I said, screw it, turned it all the way down to level one where there are two levels under me, and it still took me two minutes to kill him because he still had a lot of health. So there's mm, things like that where I think that needed to be patched and I can't believe it wasn't dealt with. And unless there's like some way that I didn't know how to deal with him, it should be better communicated like that. Which brings me to my last argument. The way the game is communicating information to you is really piss poor. Here's the best example. When I finish leveling up, I they give you class points that you can use to all these different things like weapon damage, magic, like power damage, health, armor, all these kind of things, and like other things that help your abilities. I thought I was going to have a lot of these points because the map is massive. There are a lot of things you can do. And I figure I want to do a little bit of everything because I'm trying stuff out. And I kind of did things based on what I needed. I thought, maybe okay, I need really need shotgun damage right now because my shotgun's really cool. I want to get that going. Okay, so I do that. Mm -hmm. Then I realized the class points just stopped being given out. And I was nowhere near the end of any of the pathways, which basically says you have to play one of three archetypes in that game or else you're not getting the most out of them. Because yeah. one guy on stream looked at my class points usage and said, I have watched 50 different people play this game. I have not seen anybody do what you're doing. 
which tells me that I'm doing something wrong. And when I go and look up best trickster builds, because that's my class, all of them are just putting all their points into one thing. Mm. Which to me goes, that's a poor design system. Yeah, why why have that RPG mechanic if you're just going to penalize people from deviating from the path? If I can't have a build where I'm good at damage and good at magic... What, what am I then? Do, like, if that's the point where I say, then make a class that is just about magic and not worrying yeah, about the weapons. Yeah, make a linear progression. Like, here, you're going to go down this route and forget all these other toys. You're not playing with them. You're going to just stick with this. Yeah. And, I mean, to talk about other good things, like, the legendary loot's pretty cool. Like, some of the guns are pretty neat. I, I The problem with the legendary loot that can happen is that if you happen to get one on a lower world tier level, it affects your level of the gun that you get. Which means you might get a legendary, but it might be so under level that it's not worth carrying at that point. So there's yeah. there's a bit of a give and take with that. So sometimes you almost like want to force yourself to play it at the hardest difficulties, which means you get frustrated more, which is not always the best thing either. So I, I don't want to talk too much longer on it because I think I've already put like almost 15 minutes into it. But like there is so much about this game that I love. I do think the combat's really good. I do think they have a solid foundation for a looter shooter because I think the loot is done better than any game that's ever done it before. But like the Mortal Kombat movie making so many dumb story decisions, the game itself makes so many weird choices and so many choices. It's like the death by a thousand cuts. By the time that I finished the game, I went, man, I want to love you. But there's so much I can criticize. And... As much as I keep saying how much I love the game, it's a seven at best. Like it's above average, but it's not by much. Mm. It's really, it's not worth, I think the amount of love that, or not the love, like the amount of publicity that it ended up getting just because, you know, it, it was a looter shooter when a time that people thought that they weren't going to be able to be any good anymore because Avengers and Division and Anthem have all tried and mostly failed. So yeah. when Outriders came out and did came... a lot of things right, I think people took it as, oh my God, these things are back. And the reality is, is the game's okay. Like it's, it's. Well, I think it also just, it came out at a time where there wasn't a lot coming out. So they kind of had the spotlight all to itself. Yeah. So, I mean. So seven out of 10? Yeah, seven. But I think like, if if it's on sale for half off, guys, like grab it, take a rug. Cause it took me, I did everything. Like I did everything that I could possibly do before I ended the story. And I think I must've like, I played it at launch and I just finished it on my Sunday stream. So it, it took me about, uh, let's say about 20, 30 hours to, to go through all that. And it's a decent run. And that's only counting one character archetype. You know, there's still three others I can do if I really want to go deep into it. But without friends, especially, I don't know how much of a long laster this is. I think if you have a community to work around with, it might be able to, to handle it better but as a solo player ah, eh, wait for this one to go a lot cheaper to take a shot at it. and there'll probably be more content by then too perfect yeah it's interesting just to kind of hear because i remember when we did the, when you did the impressions you were all on this game and it sounds like you still are but you're just disappointed with it's it's good ideas, i want to good, be all good. in on this game and it's just giving me way too many like too many holes to poke at you know yeah yeah good idea poorly executed awesome well I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I think that's about it for the episode. Uh, anything, any closing thoughts you want to finish off with, Adam? Uh, other than the fact that Craig, our uh, Discord bot, just disconnected, which means tech issues might be happening here. Uh, I guess we'll see. But otherwise, I'm going to stay quiet because we might want to end this thing quick now. All right, we'll wrap it up there.
But uh, yeah, that's been episode 16 of the Pixel Play podcast. If you're one of our regulars here, thank you so much for being part of us. We've had a huge amount of growth in terms of listeners. And so if you've come back for another round, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, we'd always appreciate if you could leave reviews, likes, comments, um, share it with your friends and family. If this is your first time with us, you know, hope it was good for you. Hope to see you next week. Uh, we are available on Anchor. Uh, just search for us at Pixel Play Cast. Uh, we're basically on every streaming platform. You can find us on Twitter at Pixel Playcast as well as Instagram. If you want to be part of the show and you want to email us, uh, send us questions, opinions, uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can email us at pixelplaypodcast at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, listening to us and hope to see you guys next week. Bye for now.